Good morning, great to be here again. It's always a pleasure to be here and uh, my family has asked me to offer their apologies for not being here this morning. Uh, Caleb is away representing Esperance playing hockey in Bunbury and uh, Kira and Xander are in the swimming carnival which is happening right now so Nat's down there with them and uh, so unfortunately I won't be able to share in the lunch. I know a lot of you think I only come here to preach on the first Sunday for the lunch uh, but I will have to pass on that today, uh, so to go down there and hopefully catch my kids swimming uh, in, in the race. That's the first time they've competed in that, so they're very excited about that. Now, probably owe an apology as well. I know for a few months I've been saying I'm going to be starting Ruth, and uh, I will get there, I do promise. Uh, I want to do justice to it, uh, and I haven't done it yet, so... Today we're not going to start Ruth. Um, interestingly enough, as I've been reading the past month, I've been stuck in Matthew and uh, stuck in Matthew 13. And looking, Matthew 13 is about the parables that where Jesus is telling stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And there's just two that have, have captured me and I've had to keep going back and back and back and study. And so it's going to be a bit of a different sermon, kind of like a bit of a word study into it. Uh, might challenge some of your thinking, might challenge some of the things that you've been taught previously. And uh, happy to have a, a quick conversation afterwards as well if it raises anything for you. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you that we get to come here together as your family. To worship you, to celebrate you, to have our eyes caused to look back towards you. And Father, I just pray this morning for those who are here that not only will they have a beautiful lunch and be fed and nourished, but Lord, that the words that are spoken may feed their souls, may renew their mind and refresh their bodies, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 13 is where we'll be looking. And uh, in Matthew 13, there is a total of seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. And interestingly enough, as I've done some research on this, there's Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven uh, and there's a lot of discussion out there about whether or not the kingdom of heaven is the same thing as the kingdom of God. And we've looked at the kingdom of God a lot, haven't we? Kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy found in uh, Romans 12, 12. And there's all these conversations about whether or not the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing or whether they're different things. And people will say, well, they're different, but they're very similar. Other people will say, no, they're exactly the same with a slight change of phrase. Um, so we'll look at that as well. But let me read the two parables that I want to look at. Uh, they're the parable of the mustard seed. And the parable of leaven, they're just very short parables. So Matthew 13, verses 31 through to 33, and we'll read that now. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and rest in its branches." Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Just two very short parables that I want to look at. Coming back to, is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God the same thing? Interestingly enough, if you flick over to Luke chapter 13, or in fact I think it's Mark chapter 4 as well, but we'll look at Luke 13, the exact same parables are used in Luke chapter 13 as well. And so Luke chapter 13, verse 18 through to 21, it says this. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? 
So here we've got the exact same phrase, the exact same parable. Matthew says, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Here in Luke it says, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in the garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. It's exactly the same parable, isn't it? Luke uses the phraseology, kingdom of God. Matthew uses the phraseology, kingdom of heaven. And again, to reiterate the point, uh, in verse 20 of Luke 13, it says, And again, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven to which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till it was all leavened. So exactly the same parables. Luke uses the phrase kingdom of God. Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. If we also look in Matthew chapter nine, verse, sorry, chapter 19. So it's Matthew chapter 19. Verse 23 and 24, it says this. It says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, As assuredly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So here, Matthew is using kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God interchangeably. And so, based on this alone, let's put aside the differences that some may see it. And for today's word study, we're going to say, you know what? Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is in fact the same thing. Everyone with me on that? Yep, Yep, great. And so, because this is important, because we've looked at the kingdom of God. And we've looked at the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy, haven't we? In Romans chapter 14. I think I said 12 last time, Romans 14, 14. And we've also heard in Matthew 6, 33, that Jesus says, but seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And if we translate that, it says Jesus is saying, look, seek first my righteousness, my peace, my joy, and especially my righteousness. So there's something really special about righteousness in the midst of the kingdom of God, isn't there? And in the midst of the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to come back to that, but hold that point because it is an important point. So we come back to the parable of the mustard seed. Now some of you may have heard teachings on mustard seeds as I did when I grew up in this parable. And I heard teachings about the parable of the mustard seed and how, you know, this small seed, which is really small, was planted and it grew into this great tree. And the parable represented how something as small and insignificant will grow with power and authority and will grow to become something beautiful. And how even the birds of the air will come and nest in it. Is that what you've heard taught? And how the kingdom of God started with one man, Jesus, who entered the world and shared it with a few men and that has spread and grown into the kingdom of God and into the church. Have you heard similar teaching to that? And that the birds of the air may represent the angels or even the saints who will come into the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not going to disagree that that's a great point, that that's how the kingdom of God started. But I want to say I'm not convinced that this is what Jesus is trying to say in this parable. And I want to challenge that thinking because there's a few things in these parables that I'm not sure line up with that message. I'm not saying that message is wrong. That's how the kingdom of God started. It started with Jesus. It started with just a f- him sharing it with a few mates, which has grown into such a thing that is throughout the world now. 
I'm not challenging that. I'm challenging the point. I'm not sure that's what Jesus is saying here. And then you move on to the parable of the leaven. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. And if you're like me, you would have heard teaching. And I went to Bible college and I heard similar teaching to what I'm about to show. That the leaven represents the invasiveness and the effectiveness of the kingdom of God spreading out into all of the world. And how it's going to spread throughout all of the world. Just as like leaven, which is like yeast for those who aren't aware. um, How it infects all of the bread and will spread throughout all of it. The kingdom of God will, will spread throughout all of the land. Again, a great message. Can't deny that that's what's happened throughout history. But I want to challenge the thinking that that's not what Jesus is saying here. So again, you may have been like me and you may have heard that. But I want to look at a couple of things that go, I'm not sure that that lines up. So we'll do a bit of a word study. We'll look at this. It'll, as I said, it'll be slightly different to my normal sermons. So... Let's start at the parable of the mustard seed. So it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. I want to focus on that phrase, so that the birds of the air may come and nest in its branches. Because I think it's important, and there's, there's a truth that We should allow the Bible to interpret the Bible rather than bringing our ideas and thoughts into it. And there's also a consistent theme. If you look at the way that something is used somewhere else, there's a consistent theme. The Bible will more often than not use that same theme throughout the rest of the stories. And earlier on in Matthew chapter 13, in the first parable that Jesus tells, he actually uses the phrase about a bird. And it's the parable of the sower. And Jesus says in verse 3, he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed, and as he sowed some seed, fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And so here we've got birds, haven't we? And we've got birds in this parable, and we've got birds over in the mustard seed. And it says that the birds devoured the seed that fell by the wayside or the pathway or the road. And so we can try and interpret that But the good thing is we don't need to because the disciples actually asked Jesus, Hey, Jesus, what do you mean by that? Can you tell us? And so Jesus explains the parable of the sower. And it starts in verse 18 of chapter 13. And he says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. And this is Jesus explaining it. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom of God and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. So the seed that was scattered along the wayside or along the road that fell on the road or the pathway or the hardened ground, where the birds came and snatched it up, Jesus says that that is the wicked one coming to snatch the word of God away from them. Yep, and in fact in Mark, he goes, Mark goes so far as to say that is Satan who comes and steals the word of God. So Matthew says it's the wicked one. Mark says it's Satan. Birds represent in this parable here, Satan. And then we come over to the parable of the mustard seed and we say the kingdom of God is like this small seed which grows into a tree which the birds of the air come and nest into it. Now I've got some questions about it. Don't you? Maybe, maybe it's not about this great thing and the image is about something small. Maybe Jesus is saying 
something's not going to be quite right. And the other thing which is of interest, which for me grabs my attention and I haven't been able to let go, is the, the phrase of the air, the birds of the air. To me, if I look at it as a cursory glance, the birds of the air, it's kind of a redundant statement, isn't it? I mean, most birds fly in the air. There's only very few which don't. Couldn't Jesus have just said the birds come and nest in? And if they're going to nest in the branches, then they have to fly to get up there. Why this phrase, of the air? It's a redundant statement, unless Jesus is actually pointing to something else. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In which you, and I'll, we won't worry about the first bit because it doesn't lead to our point, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's according to the New, King, New, New International Version. The New King James Version says the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? It's Satan, isn't it? The phrase of the air is actually an important phrase. In case we miss the significance of birds and linking it back, I think that Matthew is, and Jesus was making the point Hey, connect this with Satan, because this is who he is. So the parable here talks about something small that's going to grow big, but then Satan and his cohorts is going to come and nest in it. That's a little bit different to what I've heard taught, isn't it? Is that different to what you've heard taught? Yeah. Does it start ringing alarm bells and you start going, hang on, what's actually going on here? So we'll park that for a second and we'll look now um, to the parable of the leaven. Because maybe I'm just off on a tangent. Maybe what I'm seeing here and, and the links aren't there. So we'll move on to the parable of the leaven, which says, And the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. And meal is like the, the Greek word is wheat flour. So literally the flour, uh, wheat flour. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which woman took, a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And again, leaven is like yeast. They didn't have yeast back then, so they took leaven. And leaven would cause a chemical reaction. It's in fact a decay, which, which would then cause the rising of bread in a similar way that yeast does. When I read that, the first thing that jumps out to me is that a woman hid secretly, took something and secretly placed it into the bread. Now, most commentators will agree that Jesus Christ is the bread of life and that we are the body. Oh, and so there's, there's something here about the kingdom of God and, and a woman comes along and has something, something small, something insignificant. If you look at the amounts, the, the three measures, this is going to be a loaf of bread or loaves of bread which would feed roughly around 150 people. So it's a significant amount of flour and, and bread that they're going to make. And there's, there's lots of people, and she's going to come along and going to hide something small in the midst of it, which will permeate throughout the whole of it and cause it to rise. So then if we look at leaven in Scripture, and let's do that, because this is what the woman hid. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 11 and 12, it says this, and this is Jesus speaking. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? So he's explaining what he was talking about. But to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
Verse 12, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Here, Jesus uses the phraseology leaven to equate it to false doctrine. And some people actually will argue and say, well, yep, Jesus refers to it there, but it doesn't actually equate to it in this parable. In this parable, that's not what he's talking about. In Luke chapter 12, this isn't just a one-off. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. And I want to show you lots of, or a few instances to show this is not just a one-off. Luke 12, verse 1. It says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So here Jesus says that leaven equates to hypocrisy. So leaven, he's equated to false doctrine and hypocrisy. 1 Corinthians. We're getting a bit of a theme here, aren't we? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, it says this. It says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Leaven here is saying it's not a good thing. We want to remove the leaven from us. And following the, the following verse, in verse 8, it says, Therefore, let us keep the fast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here, leaven is being equated with malice and wickedness. And so we have a theme that leaven is false doctrine, it's hypocrisy, it's malice and wickedness. But also the unleavened bread is equated to being sincerity and truth. And so a woman has hid a bit of leaven into this flour to make bread. And it permeates throughout the whole. I could go on and I could show you other instances of leaven throughout scripture where it means and follows the theme that we've looked at, a false doctrine of um, hypocrisy of leaven not being a positive thing. In fact, in the Old Testament as well, leaven represented sinfulness and sinful actions and sinful thought. And some people will argue that, yes, that's what it meant, represented so, wholly and solely in the Old Testament. But when Jesus talks about leaven in this parable, it's a new thing. He's not referring to it like that. He's referring to it as a positive. But we have to remember that Jesus was talking to the Jews who knew the scripture and he would not take something that represents one thing and twist it around and use it to represent something else in only one instance. Would everyone agree with that? He would keep a common theme. In fact, nowhere in scripture can I find the use of the word leaven in a pot to indicate a positive attribute if we remove some people's thoughts about this parable. There is nowhere in, in any of Scripture that anyone will argue that leaven is a positive attribute if you remove this one parable from the conversation. It is always talking about hypocrisy, talking about sin, talking about false doctrine in every other place. In fact, in Thayer's Greek Dictionary, 
It even states that leaven metaphorically represents the mental and moral corruption which is viewed in the tendency to infect other people. Mental and moral corruption that will infect other people. So here we have to come back and look at those, these two parables and say, so if this is the case, what are these parables actually about? If leaven is in fact um, represents false teaching and it's speaking about a corrupting influence that would infiltrate all the parts of the church. And if the birds of the air represent Satan and his cohorts coming and nesting in the kingdom of God, what is the point of this parable, of these parables? And I think the point is that Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom of God, there's something not going to be right with it. You're going to have to fight for it. And if you go back and look at the other seven parables and put them together... The first parable talks about five different, a, a sower who sows seed, and he talks about the condition of five different soil types representing people's hearts. And there's only one of the heart condition which receives it and flourishes it and produces fruit. All the other ones, either Satan will come and snatch the seed away, or they will get the message of the kingdom of God will get lost in, in the troubles of the world and things like that. But one of the soil types, it will grow and it will flourish. And then the second parable, the parable of the um, wheat and tars, a master goes out and sows the seed in the field, good seed, seed that should produce good wheat. And while he's sleeping, his enemy comes along and sows seed of, wheat, of, of weeds in the midst of it. And as it starts to come up, both the weeds and the wheat come up at the same time. And, and the servants come back and go, Master, didn't you sow good seed? Because look, there's wheat and weeds at the same time. Do you want us to pull the, wheat, the weeds out? And he says, no, because you might spoil the good stuff. Leave it. And when harvest is ready, then we will separate the good from the bad. And so if we look at these two parables, these two parables aren't saying that the kingdom of heaven is good, is it? That everything is great. It's raising concerns there as well. But then some commentators get to these two and they go, but now everything's good. And I'm going, no, the theme seems to be carrying on. That we get to the parable of the mustard seed, something small is going to grow and grow and grow to the point where Satan will come and nest and his cohorts in there. And if we understand that the kingdom of God is within us and you and I make up the kingdom of God collectively, but it's also in me individually, then we can actually get a picture here of Satan coming and nesting and sitting on our shoulder. And why would he do that? What would be the point of him doing that? We look at the parable of the leaven to tell us to sow mistruths, false doctrine, hypocrisy. And then you go to the next parables, the parable of the hidden treasure and the great price, pearl of great price. And it talks about how the kingdom of God is precious, that the message of the kingdom of God is so precious that once you get it and once you understand and the words come alive to you, you will do anything to do it, to have it, because there's a preciousness there. It is so valuable because the kingdom of God and the truths within the kingdom of God are so valuable, are so important to us.
the truth that you and I are righteous in Jesus Christ. Now I want to come back to, we've looked at the kingdom of God and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and especially his righteousness because righteousness is vital. And I want to focus here on this one element, on our righteousness. Because Jesus says that this is vitally important to the kingdom of heaven. And so if you are Satan and you want to sow the seeds of false doctrine, which one thing are you going to sow against the most? That which is most important. Righteousness. Our righteousness in Jesus Christ. And we know and we've looked at this time and time again, because of what Jesus has done and the transaction that has occurred when he bore my sins and he took my sins on the cross and he became a curse for me, In that transaction, in that moment, he gives me his righteousness. And it's because of that transaction that occurs, I can stand here and I can say, I am the most righteous person who has ever walked the face of the earth. Because my righteousness is not dependent upon what I do or do not do. It is dependent upon Jesus Christ and what he has done. And the same is true for you if you have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and understand his love. Now, when you understand your righteousness in Jesus Christ, this is pivotal to everything else. Because when you understand that you are a new creation, that you are now sinless in Jesus Christ, that the Father in heaven sees you as his child, as his loving God, that he will bless you, that his grace flows to those who are righteous, and you are the most righteous person. And Jesus says, these things that I've done, you will do far greater. And all of this stuff is central to our understanding that we are righteous in Jesus Christ, that that is pivotal to the kingdom of God. What do you reckon Satan's going to be trying? So false statements about and false doctrine about. He wants to take away your power, your authority, your knowledge. He wants to do everything he can to distract your eyes from being on Jesus Christ. Because it is when we're on Jesus Christ and we see who he is and we understand what he has done and what he has accomplished, when we understand and grab that, then we get a glimpse of how the Father sees us. And when we understand how the Father sees us and that we're a new creation and and the goodness and the glory, that's worth selling everything for, isn't it? That's vital. Do you know what? But few people get that. And if you look throughout the history of the church, what is the number one theology that Satan has attacked time and time again? What is the most deceptive mistruth spoken? That you and I as saved people in Christ are sinners. And we're not, because we're a new creation. The old creation has died in Christ Jesus, and we're risen as a new creation. How many people, when they lead around, church, around communion, point to our sin, rather than pointing towards Jesus Christ and what he has done? The kingdom of God is so important, and it's worth grabbing, and that's the key message, that's the truth around it. And Satan will come and nest in the kingdom of God to spread lies and mistruths, to take away the power and the authority 
That's what the kingdom of God is like. Because he is scared of what the kingdom of God can do in you and me. And so he wants to take that power away and he wants to sow misdeeds and lies lies into our lives. But the truth of the matter is we are blessed in Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is we are righteous in Jesus Christ. We have peace in Jesus Christ. We are filled with joy in Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is that you are a son or a daughter of the living Father in heaven. The truth is that you are under grace you are the most blessed person ever because of what Jesus Christ has done you're a new creation you're highly favored highly esteemed a saint you're not a sinner ensure that these truths remain in your heart because the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl says it's hidden and we have to search that out but when we find that truth Grab it and hold on to it. And do not let anyone tell you otherwise to take away those truths from you. Does that help? I said it was going to be a bit different. It's a bit of a different sermon. But it's important for us to understand that in the word of God, we have to read it and look at it and say, what's Jesus' intent here? What's he actually saying? And I think Jesus is saying the kingdom of God, it's going to start small, yes, but Satan's going to come against it as it grows because he does not want it to have any power or authority and he's going to try and spell misdeeds and mistruths and false doctrine in there to rob you of your birthright, to rob you of the power and the authority you have in Jesus Christ, to instill depression in you to take away the truth so that you can stand up he's going to tell you that you are not worthy and you are not good enough he's going to look at you and say how dare you say that you're a saint look at what you just did yesterday and your response should be but i'm saved by jesus christ he's borne that sin on the cross take it up with him for i am forgiven in jesus christ Stop looking to your sin. Stop listening to the words of condemnation. Stop listening to those things which are designed by Satan and his cohorts to bring you down and he will use every opportunity to whisper in your ear and spread mistruths and misdeeds and lies and deception. But listen to what Jesus Christ says about you for that is where life is found. That is where truth is. That is where your power and your authority lies. And that is who you truly are. Your life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It's good, isn't it? It's good. Can you see why I've been stuck on it? Yeah. Yeah. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that your word brings life. I want to thank you that your son came into this world to make a transaction because we sang a song that says he came to pay a debt we could not pay. And we thank you for the cross. And because of the cross and because the minute we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his completed work, he takes our sinful nature, he takes the sin and the condemnation and he bore it on the cross for us. And Father, our old creation our old body our old self is done away with and you said we're a new creation in jesus christ 
that we are a saint, that we are beloved, that, that we are blessed, that we are righteous, that we are good in your eyes. Your word says that we sit at the seat in Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father and we know that the right hand of the Father is the seat of blessing. We sit in the seat of blessing. We thank you that you see us as though you see your son Jesus because we rest in his completed work. Father, embed these truths into each person here today that they may go out no longer listening to the lies of the enemy but listening solely to the words of truth, the words of power, the words of authority of Jesus Christ. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Just to link it back to communion, I want to reread the verse that Ben shared and a little bit more. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvellous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had, no, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. That is who we are.